0: It, it is good to have each and every one of you here. Uh, you know, today is, uh, is a special day. Amen. 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 And remember, as God blesses you, you bless God. As he gives us gifts, we pour the gifts back out upon him. So I'm holding this sign. I have too many of these left. Okay. Uh, you know. So these are just simple signs. I love my church. For those of you over there that can't see it, I love my church. So these are nice little signs. They just simply stand right up in your yard. You don't have to do anything else, and you can advertise for your church. These signs are only $15 unless you want to pay more. If you want to pay $20, you can. That's fine, uh, you know, but they're $15. So please come and grab your signs, okay? And there's envelopes that's in the back of the pews, and if you would like to, just simply put the $15 in that envelope and mark signs, and Darla will know exactly where it needs to go. Okay, so these are just simply showing the people and showing God that you love your church. And later on in the message, you'll understand a little bit more on why we do this stuff here. Hovis? Okay, yes. Okay. Okay. Yes, remember the Hovis family um, as they have a lost loved one. Remember them. Okay. So, I want to ask you this question this morning. Don't want you to respond out loud. Respond within your heart or in your brain, however you want to respond to this. What is life? What is life? If we think about life and what life is, this world that we live in gives us us a definition of what life is. It gives us a definition of what a successful life looks like. It also gives us a definition as far as what a non-successful life would look like. So what is life? And as you're thinking about that and contemplating upon that, um, I want to take you in and I want to talk to you about this. I read a study on evangelicals or e, uh, evangelists. And evangelist back in the late 80s, early 90s and some even up into today has done an injustice to us and some of them would actually apologize to you because of the picture that they have painted of heaven... Uh, is not really an appropriate picture that they have painted from he- you know, painted of heaven. But I want us to look at the picture that they painted for us of heaven. If you can remember back to those evangelists and coming to revival, and what was heaven painted and what was it to look like for you? You remember? Uh, you know, every one of us has a mansion that's set for us in heaven. You've heard that before? Either that or you're going to have a nice room in that mansion, Right? That's over there. Nice, beautiful mansion that's going to have a room for you that's there. All right. So you've got the mansion. You've got the streets of gold. You've got the gates that's made of a pearl or a gate that's made of a pearl. And my favorite, and I'm really looking forward to this, I am looking forward to seeing the crystal sea. So you remember all those? You know all those things there? So what are you going to be doing whenever you get to heaven? You're going to be kicked back in your nice mansion and your recliner, and you're going to have your feet propped up, waiting and having your butler wait on you. See, whenever we look at heaven and we think about living eternity in heaven, what is that going to look like? We have to grab an understanding because we have here. Paul tells us in Philippians chapter one, verse twenty-two. He says, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. Now that's a pretty good gain, right? Whenever I breathe my last breath here, I move from a one-bedroom apartment that has three people living in it to a mansion. praise the Lord. I got my own couch. I can sit there, I can stretch out, I can do whatever I want to, right? I'm going to have a butler that's going to draw my bath water, and it's going to be set at a certain certain temperature, and it's going to have a certain level of bubbles, and I'm going to be able to relax in that nice mansion. Right? I don't know about you, but whenever I was growing up, I loved basketball, so man, heaven was a basketball court. Every shot I made would go in. Every time I played on any team, regardless of what team it was, we won. I don't know how that works because the other team's supposed to win too, right? There's no losers in heaven. Don't understand how that worked, but as I grew up, it turned into golf. I'm like, man, heaven's got to be a beautiful golf course now, doesn't it? Picture this. Your golf cart is made of pure gold. And you're riding around on golden streets and every time you get out of the get out of the cart the grass is nice and pristine it's just beautiful grass and every time you swing that club it's just a perfect swing and it goes right into the hole Woo, man that's heaven for you isn't it i'm not sure i'm not sure that's what's going to be going on in heaven what what does scripture say that's going to be going on in heaven? We're going to be praising and worshiping God. All day long. All night long. It's not going to be night because the sun's going to be shining all day long. All I'm going to be doing is praising and worshiping God. Well, that heaven doesn't look too appealing. Is that what you want to do? Today, if I asked you, uh, you know, if if that's listening, I I went to the Dave Ramsey. I I taught the Dave Ramsey financial peace class. Just a little snippet for you real quick here. The first things you're supposed to do is you're supposed to have, you're supposed to set up an emergency fund with $1,000 in it. It took me like forever to get that $1,000 in there. Once you get the $1,000 in there, then you're going to start snowballing and you're going to start paying off debt. You're going to pay off one mortgage or one loan and then the, the money that you were putting on that one, you're going to put on another one so that you can hurry up and get rid of the next one. Then you're going to put all that money onto the next one and you're going to get rid of that one so that you can become debt-free. And then once you become debt-free, you're supposed to put up three months of living expenses so that if you lost your job or if you had your arm or hand cut off or something, you'd be able to survive three months without any money coming in. All your bills would be paid. You're setting up for this and you're you're working for this. Once you get that done, 15% of your income at that point in time, you're supposed to start investing it. Now that sounds to me like a plan of gain. I'm gaining, right? So how does Paul tell us that for him to die is gain? He's not going to get any money. He's going to go to heaven and he's going to praise God all day long. Hopefully, y'all were getting how facetious I am with this, right? So I want to help you with this because, see, we have struggles with this and we have issues with it because there's things that we want to accomplish here on this earth. This morning, I was thinking about this and I told the people. I said, "You know," I said, "Before I die, I want to camp out at the bottom of the Grand Canyon. I don't know how long it's going to take me to get there. I might ride a donkey." If I'm too old to ride a donkey, I'll ride the four-wheeler. If I'm too old to ride the four-wheeler, just simply put me on a skiff or in a, a, a racket or something and just simply slide me down the side. I want to spend the night, I want to camp out on the, you know, on the bottom of the Grand Canyon. To me, that's game. I also want to go to Arizona. and I want to see those beautiful mountains. I want to see the red rocks. I want to go to Stonehenge. I want to see those presidents that's carved into that mountain. I want to see the beauty of God. I've been to Hawaii, and that's I'm done with that. So I'm going to buy me a motor home, and I'm going to tour all the states, seeing the beauty of God. Now, that's gain, Right? That's a plan. But Paul says that's not right. In this journey that we're in, we need to allow God to change our idea of what gain and loss is. To help us with this, I want you to think back. Now, all of you most probably have seen this show or movie before, Robin Hood. Everybody's seen Robin Hood. You know Robin Hood, okay? Robin Hood, Den of Thieves. Robin Hood, he goes off and he's fighting for for King Alexander, right? And he's over there, and of course they're losing the battle, so he's got to come home. But whenever he comes home, he has a companion. Why does he have the companion with him? Because he saved the companion's life. And because of the companion, his religion says that if you save my life, then I have to follow you to save your life, a life for life. I want you to picture this, I want you to understand this, because in this aspect, what happens is, is that this man is now traveling with, uh, you know, with him, and his passion becomes the other man's passion. Robin Hood, right? He's stealing from the rich to give to the poor. So this man begins helping him to steal from the rich and give to the poor. They have this band of merry men that they're out there and he begins to train them on how to battle. There again, Robin Hood's passion has now become his passion. Hopefully you've already made the connection. And as us as Christians, our passion becomes the passion of Jesus Christ. And if our passion becomes a passion of Jesus Christ, then everything that's here on this earth is loss. And the only thing that is gain is living with Jesus Christ in heaven for eternity. That's gain. Not living here on this earth. Philippians chapter 1, verse, or chapter one, verse 21. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. 22, but if I live, I can can do more fruitful work for Christ so that I really don't know or so, I really don't know which is better. I'm torn between the two desires. I long to go to be with Christ, which would be better for me. So Paul is battling this situation. He is battling somewhat like we would even battle today. Because there's some of us that's sitting here today that says, yes, I'm ready to go and be with Christ. But then there's others that are sitting here today that says, you know, I'm ready to go spiritually. But I know that there's work for me to do here on this earth. I thought about this in between the services. My life changed on March the 20th of 1990. That's when my first son was born. Now, I I say that my life changed... Because from that moment on, everything that I did was for His security. August 28th, 1991, my life changed again. My daughter was born. From that moment on, everything that I did was for my son and my daughter. Whenever I went to work, I went to work to provide for them. Now, I want you to see this because whenever I went to church, I went to church for them. I didn't go to church for myself. Went to church for them. I think it was 94, January the 25th of 94, whenever my second son was born. Talk about a life change. See, it's no longer a focus on me and and what I need or what I have, but it becomes a focus on those three. And what do I have or what do they have? August the 4th of 2016, my life changed. Because I became the pastor at Rock Hill First Church of the Nazarene. And every single thing that I do is so that you will see Jesus Christ in my life. See, Paul gets this. See, whenever we're talking about this gain and how this gain, it needs to change as far as what is gain in your life. It no longer has anything to do with you, but it has everything to do with the people that God has placed in your life. Whether it be your children, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren, your wife. I, I forgot about that date. That would be April 9th of 1988. But what is gain for us? See, God is trying to show us that the things that we place as important in this life is not important. Paul goes on, verse 24, says, But for your sake, it's better that I continue to live. What? Paul says, for your sake, it's better that I live. My walk with Jesus Christ is honky dory Is that, I'm sorry, that's not a proper word or phrase. My life with Jesus Christ is good. And if I breathe my last breath right now, I'm good. Because I know I'll be with Him for eternity. But, but, you see it? It's better that I would continue to live because of you. Because of each and every one of you that's here. For those that are listening online, Whenever we come to church, we shouldn't be coming to church for ourselves. We should be coming to church for the other people that's in our lives, that's looking to us for leadership and for guidance. I once heard a district superintendent say that if it was up to him, he would not go to church again on Sunday nights. But he goes because of the other people that's there. He goes for his children. He goes for his grandchildren. He goes for all of those people that he professes to be a Christian to in his neighborhood. So that they could see that Jesus Christ is the center of his life. We've got it all wrong. It's not a life for me that I'm worried about. Paul goes on and Paul talks about it even further. I want to drop down to verse 27. In verse 27 it says, Above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Jesus Christ. So he says, okay, now that you have come to this understanding, now that you have this relationship with Jesus Christ, and now that Jesus Christ's passion is now your passion, this is how you're supposed to live. You're supposed to live worthy of being called a Christian. Now, what does it mean to be worthy to be called a Christian? Well, Paul gives it to us. He doesn't leave it to your mind. He doesn't leave it to my thought process. He does not leave it to the fact that I can sit here and conjure up that a good person should be doing this. And a bad person would be doing this or a good person doing this. He tells us. So let's see what Paul tells us as far as what we're supposed to do or how we're supposed to live this life that is worthy of being called a Christian or being called a child of God. He goes on and he says, Then whether I come to see you again or only hear about you, I will know that you are standing together with one spirit and one purpose. So let's stop here. That you are standing together with one spirit and one purpose. Some of your translations would have the S capitalized. As in the spirit that it's talking about here would be the Holy Spirit that is in us, that's guiding us and directing us, and that we are standing firm within the Holy Spirit. Because let's face it. There's a lot of people in this world that standing firm on a lot of different things, right? So he tells us what we are supposed to be standing firm in. Some of your translations would be like mine, the NLT that has the s on the spirit as a little s that would give us the understanding or the indication that the s here would be the church or the body of believers that you're within. So if it's a little S, it would be that you would be together as one underneath the spirit of Rock Hill First Church of the Nazarene. If it is a capital S, then you would be together as one with the Holy Spirit. Regardless of the translation, regardless if you're looking at it as a capital S or little s, it's still the same thing because we are standing firm in the gospel of Jesus Christ because Rock Hill First Church of the Nazarene preaches and believes in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We believe that we are part of the body of Jesus Christ, that is, the body of all believers in Jesus Christ. That as Rock Hill First Church of the Nazarene, that we join together with every single person that believes in Jesus Christ, and we do the work that Jesus Christ has called us to do. Thank you so much. I grew up in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, so of course I grew up Southern Baptist. And there was many a times that I would hear the joke about there's only going to be Baptists in heaven. There's no denomination in heaven. It's believers in Jesus Christ. And see, we're part of that. So whether it's a little S or a big S, we're still a part of it. And we still believe in Jesus Christ and we still stand firm, but we stand firm on the gospel of Jesus Christ. We stand firm on the truth of who He is. That's the one purpose. So what is our purpose? Our purpose as believers has been and has always been that we are supposed to glorify God our Father. And we glorify God our Father by witnessing all of the great things or witnessing about all of the great things that He has done for us in our lives. That we witness about Jesus Christ in the forgiveness of our sins. We witness about His love and His mercy that He has poured out upon us. We are supposed to be His hands and feet. We are supposed to be the light of the world. However you want to bring all of this about. But we are, are supposed to be in one accord. We are supposed to be united together in that aspect. That we preach and teach the gospel of Jesus Christ. But it takes unity. It takes unity in doing that. You now, I want us to think... Before we move on from this, because in, in today's time where we are so spread out because of social distancing, and there are so many people that, uh, you know, that don't feel comfortable as far as coming into church and being in the church in the physical facility, but yet they're part as far as watching online and, and doing things and stuff like that, if we're together as one, as in the church, then we are supposed to be showing our love to one another. The scripture tells us that we will know or we will be known as God's disciples by our love for one another. So we connect together with like-minded people within a body of Christ so that we then begin to do the work that God has for us that we really can't do on our own. But can I let you know something here? This unity deals with connectivity. Because you can come to the church, you can sit within the body of Christ and not be connected to the body of Christ. So, I have family that still live in Louisiana. Hurricane Sally came through. Hurricane Sally might have messed up my vacation, don't really know yet, uh, you know, but right now we can't get to where we're supposed to be at for our vacation uh, you know, because of the, the flood and, and some issue with the bridge, but South Carolina has a working witness team that has actually gone to Louisiana and they have actually worked on the land of one of my relatives' homes. Clearing off woods and clearing off trees and stuff that's fallen down. There's, there's a gentleman that's in, that was in Oklahoma City. Uh, you know, my uncle told me this story about him and how, how you know, his house was burned to the ground. It was fully engulfed with flames one day. And he said it was full the next day, but it was full of people from his church rebuilding the house. But if you're not connected to the body of Christ, then the church can't connect with you. So that whenever you're struggling, the church has absolutely no idea that you're struggling. So you're going to sit at home and you're going to struggle by yourself, and then you're going to complain because the church didn't come and help you. We do it, right? I'm the preacher. had a member, wife came into church a couple of Sundays ago, and said, "Pastor, my husband's been in the hospital for a week." I'm like, "Did you pick up the phone call and tell me? I would have been there. I'm like i I didn't know. Now that doesn't mean that I want everybody to call me. There's 150 people that you can call. That can come and can pray for you just as good as I can. But if you do not let your church body know where you are and where you're struggling, they can't help you. And if you're professing to be a Christian and you have a struggle that's in your life, And your friends look and see that you're battling this all alone. Then they look at the church and they say the church is useless. I'm sorry, I got on my soapbox there just a little bit. We have to be connected to the body of Christ. Because the body of Christ, the church, is what everybody sees. And if you're not allowing the church to be the church in your body and in your life, then you're not witnessing to your friends that's around you. So let's move on and let's see because Paul's telling us what we're supposed to do and how we're supposed to live this life as a Christian. So we're supposed to be in one spirit with one purpose, unity. And then from there, it says, fight together for the faith, which is the good news. So we're supposed to fight together. Last week, I gave you, I think, if I'm not mistaken, this is going to be week number three, that I have talked about the shields of faith. I heard another preacher last week talking about the shields of faith and his description of the Roman shield of faith was that the shield was actually about three feet wide and somewhere around five to six feet in height. And I know that I talked to y'all and I told y'all that they were so heavy that they would just simply pick them up, move them about three feet and then set them down. So this is what he did. He said what they do is is that they pick it up, move it forward, set it down, stab. Stab pick it up, move it forward, set it down, stab. So you get this picture that you have people that's standing behind here that's fighting a battle. And the battle that we're fighting is the battle of the gospel that we are spreading the gospel to all the people that's around us. The good news of Jesus Christ. We are fighting against Satan and all of his principalities and things that's on this earth. But we do it together because we're united in Christ. But we're fighting for the same thing. We're fighting for the souls of the lost people in this world. We're fighting together. Verse 28 Do not be intimidated in any way by your enemies. So do you get this? We're we're joined together. So we're in unity with the body of Christ. We're in unity with the Holy Spirit. And we're working in one accord to spread the gospel. And he says, I know your enemy is going to come. So don't fear anything. Wow. Wow. That's a little harder said than done, right? (laughs) I got a movie for you. I got a scene in the movie. An angel's growing. It's about this boxer. And he is an underdog that's fighting in this national championship. But no, it's not Rocky. I know it sounds similar. It's not Rocky. And they've got here, and they're, and they're fighting, and you see that, they're, uh, you know, that he's fighting. And all of a sudden, this champion lands this blow on this guy. And, and y'all have seen it. I, I mean, he connected right to the jaw. His face turns to the side and kind of jerks, and his mouthpiece goes flying out, and he stumbles around. And then as he's going over to pick up his mouthpiece, he turns and looks at the champion and then gives him a smile. Whoa. That champion looks and he goes, wait a minute. I just gave him a hit that, man, I should have knocked him out. And here he is, he's smiling at me. So in between the rounds, the guy goes over to his corner and he's wobbly-kneed and all that stuff. And his manager says, oh, no, you're not going to sit down. Stand up. The champion's over there sitting. He's like, man, he goes, look, he goes... He's not even tired. I just hit him with all I had. He's not even tired. Doubt creeps in. Can I let you know? Battle's already been won. But Satan's still wailing away. All we have to do is stand there because we know that we've already won. And whenever we look up and Satan gives us that hit, and we just simply look up and smile at him, He knows that we're a child of God. And he knows that we know that the battle's been won. So we can stand and not fear our enemies. Because we know that the battle has already been won. So today, whenever we look at this, and Paul's saying, hey, for me to die right now is gain. But I'm not going to die because God still has something for me to do. There is fruit that he still has for me to harvest. There are people that he still has for me to witness to. But I'm going to do it because I'm going to get my joy out of their faith growing. Not mine. I've already received my fruit. I have already have Jesus Christ in my life. Peggy and I were talking through this message and stuff this week and and she looks at me she kind of pokes me in my heart and she goes, so what's your joy? I tear up in excitement with that now. Just think about it. What's your joy? Where do you get your joy today? Do you get it from something that you've accomplished? No. Our joy comes from seeing someone else receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Our joy comes from someone else getting an understanding on a Thursday night Bible study about God's love. That they have a new understanding of the depths of God's love. It's sitting with a group of people at Knowledge Perk whenever we're sipping on our coffee. And someone looks up and says, Pastor, I understand what that passage of Scripture says now. We get a better understanding. We get our joy from someone else. Pick up your toes really quick. Pick up your toes. I'm going to get through real quick. Whenever you come into the church and you're going to complain about not singing certain songs, I want you to understand that you do not come to church for yourself, but you come to church for everybody else that's around you. The songs and stuff that are sung are not sung for you. They're sung for everybody else. The words that are spoken are spoken to encourage you and to help you to work and to walk this life for someone else. It is not your gospel that you are hearing or that you are spreading. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Stop making it your own. And I'm going to say this. I get my joy from preaching and teaching you hard-headed people that are sitting in here. Because we're all hard-headed. But God has the word for us. There's sometimes you'll get it and sometimes you won't. I understand that. But I get the joy whenever I see that light bulb in your head turn on. That says, I understand. I get joy whenever I see God take you through a difficult spot in your life. I get joy whenever you are able to sing praises in the midst of your struggles. I get joy whenever I see tears come down your face because God is visiting you. That is where my joy comes from. See, everything that we do, we do for Jesus Christ because His passion has become our passion. And if His passion has become our passion, then for us to die today is gain. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much, dear Lord, for this day. God, I thank you for the words that you have given to us. God, I thank you that your Son. Dear Lord, died on the cross to save us from our sins. Oh, dear Heavenly Father, I pray, God, and I thank you that he rose again on the third day. Has the perfect sacrifice. And that is what we proclaim today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. As the Praise and Worship team comes to sing us out of this place today, let us stand and let us sing these words with them. I do want to give you one last note. All the things that Paul has given us here about living a life as a Christian, none of them, none of the words that he ever says that it's a perfect life. Because there's times that we will mess up, but God's love is sufficient for all of those messing up's. He doesn't ask us to be perfect. He just asks us to be willing to spread his gospel.
1: The Lord bless you and keep you, make his face shine upon you gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. With you in the morning, in the evening, and you're coming, and you going, in, and you're weeping, every joy he is for you, he is for you, he is for you, he's for you, he's for you, he is for you, he is for you, he is for you.
0: face of God shine upon you and his blessings from heaven be poured out on you this week in Jesus name. Amen.